Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, speaking of Abraham, but it was imputed to him, but for us also, to him it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's start in verse number 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It wasn't because Abraham built some altars. It wasn't because Abraham forsook the land. It wasn't because Abraham prayed and worshiped God at, at the altar. It, it wasn't because Abraham delivered Lot. It wasn't because of anything that Abraham did. All he did was take God at his word and he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. God promised Abraham that he would do something supernatural, not just something natural. And Abraham believed that. Now, something to note here, Abram, the name means high father. When in Genesis 17, verse five, it says, neither shall thy name be called Abram or high father, but thy name shall be Abraham. That means a father of multitude. Uh, and then at the end of verse number five in Genesis 17, it says, for a father of many nations. Have I made thee? It was a supernatural God thing, and that's what Abraham believed. And so God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, that happened in Genesis chapter number uh, 17. What's interesting is that happened right after Genesis chapter 16, where God rejected Ishmael. I mean, he believed God in Genesis 15, Genesis 16. He has he thinks he's got a better idea. There comes this scheming, natural man-made plan by uh, Abraham and Sarai and Hagar and Ishmael is, is born and Abraham is reminded in, in Genesis 17 of some things. Nonetheless, he believes God and God, God rejects. He rejects Ishmael it says, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. By the time you get to Genesis 17 though, Ishmael's the only offspring that Abraham has at that point. That's the only thing he can see. Faith isn't about what we can see. Faith isn't about what we naturally can come up as men or women. It's a God thing. And the other thing is this. Abraham believed God and was counting him for righteousness. Genesis 15, right? But in Genesis 16, he was not living right. Sarai and Abram came up with this idea that was a horrible idea. They were not living right. And we think that right living is better than right believing. And it's not. It is belief. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody gets sick, we say, we'll get well soon. And I guess it's a good thing to say, but 
we have bypassed that they can't get well unless they have a cure. The gospel isn't to go out and tell people to get well soon. Well, we just hope you get well soon. We hope you just live right, live holy. You have to give them the cure <laughs> so that now when they get well, what is it tied back to? The cure. Somebody gets sick. Next time they get sick, well, I hope you get the cure. Well, unless they, unless they make us all sick and then design a cure that we're all supposed to take. But we want past that. But the idea is we're trying to give this lost and dying world the cure for their sin sickness. We don't want to just tell them, hey, get well soon. Give them the gospel. Give them the cure. It is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, look at verse number 23, Romans 4. It says, now it was not written for his sake alone that was imputed to him. So the Old Testament is a book for our sake. We can learn from that. And it should be read and understood. In John 12, you don't have to turn here, but the Bible says, uh, Jesus cried and said, he that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Is that what Jesus said in the New Testament, right? Well, Believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Well, who sent him? God the Father. Where's God the Father from? Well, you can see him in the Old Testament, which means all of the Old Testament points to, there's shadowing, there's picturing of the Son. And so God the Father of, of, of the Old Testament. So it's all tied together. Just because something wasn't written to you, it doesn't mean it's not for us to learn from. None of us are going to go build an ark. Okay, none of us are going to um, try to follow the Ten Commandments. They are things that were given to a specific group of people. We have commands God gave us in the New Testament that we see uh, most of all, them are all restated. But nonetheless, we don't disregard the Old Testament because most of it was for the Jewish nation. We learn from it. And that's what Paul's doing in, in Romans. Look at verse 24. What's it say? But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. Actually, uh, Tom brought this out. Who raised up Jesus? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were all working together. In Acts 13, verse 30, it says, but God raised him from the dead. We looked at this morning, the Spirit quickening. Uh, and so that's the Holy Spirit raising him. And then John 2, you don't have to stand there, but turn there. But Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That's what Jesus said. He said in John 11, I am the resurrection. Well, if God raised him from the dead and the spirit quickeneth him, and if Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I will raise, then what would that tell you? Jesus is God. It's we. There's a trinity there. There's a trinity very clearly in the Bible. You can only miss it if you want to miss it. Look at verse 17 in Romans 4. As is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed even god who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were 
we preached on this, so we'll just park for just a little bit of time. Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. His body owned dead, the deadness of Sarah's womb. And in like manner, we are believing that God can raise the dead. Who's the dead? Me and you. What are we dead in? Trespasses and sins. Our justification is tied to the fact that we believe in a resurrection. We're dead. That's what we teach and preach, right? The gospel. Look, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You need the regenerating life of Jesus Christ. People say, I don't believe that. What are they saying they don't believe? Well, they're saying they don't believe a lot of things. But one key thing we're trying to deal with this morning is they're saying they don't believe, one, that they're dead in sins. And two, if they do believe that they're a sinner and dead in sins, they don't believe God can supernaturally raise them to life. And that's what Paul is closing out here in Romans 4. Raising of the dead was foundational to Abraham, Abraham and Sarai's belief. We, we saw that. We saw that in a few earlier messages. Go to Colossians 2, if you would. Keep your finger in Romans 4, but let's get Colossians chapter number 2. Watch what it says in verse number 11. Colossians 2, verse number 11. The Bible says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's not a flesh thing. It's a spiritual thing. In other words, verse 12 buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Abraham and Sarah, dead body, dead womb, cannot produce life. You and I, dead in sins, we, we, we cannot. We are in Adam. We are dead. We cannot produce life unless something supernatural happens that God Almighty does and he imputes it to us. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. If you allow me a minute to just kick religion, I'd like to do so. If anybody got the idea that something physical imparts to you life, allow Colossians 2 to refute that. Is is a physical circumcision going to save anybody? No. It's right in the same verse that talks about baptism. Do you think if you take your little boy at eight days old, or now they just do it right at the hospital, you think when he gets that circumcision that he's saved? No. There is a spiritual cutting away of sin that is only done without hands. Nothing physical that man can do will render him righteousness. 
The other obvious problem with that is only males could be saved if, if, if circumcision imparted eternal life. And the problem with that, if you want to make baptism the New Testament circumcision, the problem you got with that is still only men can do it. It doesn't work. And you know what happens when you get in water? It doesn't impart to you life. It's a picturing the same way that Paul is picturing the physical circumcision to now you need a spiritual circumcision. It follows the same logical context that's all throughout the Bible. That baptism gets you wet. And it pictures your death, burial, and resurrection. You're, you're, you're showing the world through an ordinance, for lack of a better term, Because you can't show them what happened inside. So you're making a public testimony. Doesn't save you. Doesn't save you. Should all Christians be baptized? Yes, they should. But Christians are baptized, not non Christians to get eternal life. See where it says, buried with him in baptism, where ye also where ye are risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of God. That's Colossians 2.12. Who hath raised him from the dead. Our sin debt's been paid for. Yes, praise God on the cross. But you know what he asked for us? A new place. A risen, a risen place. We're going to get to that in a minute. We'll go to Romans. Back to Romans chapter 4. Watch it says verse 23. We'll read that again. Now it. Was not written. For his sake. Now look at verse 24. But for us also. Paul's bringing the harmony between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's bringing that faith by the imputed righteousness by faith. He's bringing that into harmony by those two statements. We have said this before. What are the two things that true biblical Christianity has that no other religion has? It's not by works. We all should understand that. So anybody that preaches a works-based gospel is dead wrong. It is not a gospel. It, 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 it's a gospel, but it's accursed. It's another gospel. Dead wrong. We all should get that. So we need to be mindful of that. You hear somebody preaching works, run. They, they no, Well, don't run. Stay there and witness to them. <laughs> The second thing that makes true biblical Christianity completely different from any other religion is the resurrection. We have a risen savior. Now they put us right next to the JWs for the for the fair, and that's fine. Uh, it's not our fair. We're there on their terms, and uh, they do not believe. And, and praise God, on our tent we have a flag that goes up, and on that flag. You can see it driving into the fair when you're coming in. It's great. You look up and you see, you know what we have on there? If you've seen that tent, a cross, cross. And praise the Lord, he put it right next to the JWs because you know what they don't believe? That Jesus died on the cross. And they had to look at that all week. You know what else they had to look at? A Bible verse that has hell in it. Because you know what they don't believe? That you're going to hell. You're going to live a good enough life 
And if you do live a good enough life, you'll be resurrected. You'll be able to spend the rest of your days on a new created earth. No mention of heaven. And if that's not you, then you just die and disintegrate in the ground, just like they believe happened to Jesus in the tomb. So you know what they don't have? A resurrected Jesus Christ. So you know what I took liberty to do as soon as the music stopped and it just felt it just felt like it was a perfect time. I preached the exact same thing that they preached in the book of Acts. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And you know what they heard? The death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's up to them to do what they want to do with that. But nonetheless. All through the book of Acts, they didn't attack false religion. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. Now, if you know what they believe, it certainly helps in directing the witness. No pun intended, but they only believe Jesus. J-Dubs only believe Jesus was resurrected spiritually. You believe in the resurrection. That means you believe that your guilt is gone, completely done away with. And so, therefore, your faith should not be an agony. It should be a joy because it's gone. Your heart isn't set on physical or, or it's not set on historical facts about Jesus Christ. It's set on the fact that he rose from the dead. He's risen and he offers us new life. It's available to us. The resurrection is proof of what he has done. It is the receipt. It unites my life to his resurrection. Now, I spoke to another man this week, and he wanted to know if I had the power to deliver somebody from a demon if they came into the church house. Now, if you know anything about the deliverance ministries, you know where this is going to go. Brother Tom touched on this in the Sunday school uh, or in the Lord's Supper. He, he made mention of the resurrection involves the father raising. The sun raising and the spirit quickening raising. And we mentioned it earlier in this message. All are involved in rising from the dead, rising Christ from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we risen with Christ as Christians? Doctrinally, are we risen with Christ? Okay. So that would mean who raised us? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit quickening us. So that means when we trust Jesus Christ, what do we have indwelt with us the moment we believe? That would be the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because he's part of that resurrecting power. Do I have a half a tank of Holy Spirit? Do I have a quarter of a tank of the Holy Spirit? And I need to get a full tank by evidencing that I've been slain in the spirit. And now I'm speaking incoherently in an unknown tongue that nobody understands. No. I got a full tank. You got a full tank. You can decide what you want to do with it. Live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit. But I'm telling you, we have got it. And if somebody comes in here and they are possessed and they want me to deliver them, I'm going to give them the gospel because it is the power of God. Under salvation. I can't do anything. You can't do anything. Some minister that's trying to fool people can't do anything. It's only the power of God.
So when that man stood next to me and he could, that's what he did right in front of me. I said, what are you doing? You're not saying anything. Yes, I am. It's my heavenly prayer language. I said, it's not a heavenly prayer language. It's mumbo jumbo. He said, I'm not. I said, how does that edify me? He says, I'm not trying to edify you. I'm speaking to God. I said, well, if you're speaking to God, he don't know what you're talking about. Say, that's me. If I don't tell him that, he's not going to hear it. It's the power of God. And the same power he has to, to, to save your soul and pay your sin debt is the same power he has to quicken you into a new life and impart to you the Holy Spirit. That's what dwells in you and me. You should be mindful of that. Lost my glasses. Here they are. Hebrews 10. Let's check out Hebrews 10. Uh, I guess if we're on the business of kicking false doctrine, let's, I got to always be careful when I kick this can. Does God, does God know everything? Does God know everything? That's Calvinism light. This idea that God knows everything. Let's see. If he really knows everything. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 17. I know we're going to have to read the verse, so I qualify what I said. But read Hebrews 10 with me. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You know what Hebrews 10 tells us? There's something that God can't know. You know what Hebrews 10 also tells us? There's something that God can't remember because he won't remember. Can God know everything if he wanted to? You know what he chooses? You know what God knows? Everything that he chooses to know. You know what God remembers? Everything that he chooses to remember. But he's omnipotent. He is so powerful that unlike you and I, he can choose to forget something. Now, a husband that might not. For his wife or a wife not might not if her husband or the kids might not if mommy and daddy do something don't you wish you could forget some things don't you wish you could forget some stupid things that you did in the past oh god get it away from my mind get it out of my eyes get it away from me i'm telling you god's so powerful he can do that and your sins your iniquity my sins my iniquity god is so powerful that he says i'm not even going to remember it now praise his holy name for that Praise his holy name. What is interesting about Hebrews chapter 10 is verse number three in relation to verse 17. <laughs> this is really good. Watch what verse three says in, 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 in Hebrews 10. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year the legal sacrifices were done away with those jews were told every year do these sacrifices do these sacrifices and it reminded them you're a sinner you're a sinner do these sacrifices it was a good thing because it reminded them that they ain't good you need to offer something up to god there's a one-time sacrifice for us. And we don't have to 
redo it on an altar over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, like Romanism teaches. Christ did away with that. One time sacrifices. And you now and you now and you know now what he doesn't remember? Our sins and our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. People say, I've just done so horrible sins. I've lived such an awful life and I got saved, but now I could never do anything for God. That's hogwash. That's the devil accusing. We so focus on, did Jesus pay your sin debt? Yes. Did, did he die on the cross for you? Yes. Did he save you from the wrath to come? Yes. And, and we so key in on just that as part of our justification. And those are all, I mean, it's a positive thing, but it's negative in the sense that we focus on our sins and wrath was coming to us and we need to know all that. But I'm telling you, we have new life. And part of our justification is not only tied to Christ's death on the cross, but he's given us new life because we are risen with him. And every time we say, well, I've done such these bad things, we are giving up ground. Either yourself or the devil's talking to you into giving up ground. Now, some sins, you may have disqualified yourself from doing some things, but good night. There's an awful lot of things to do within the body of Christ to be used by him. Come on. Very few people are called to preach. As far as pastoring a church. That doesn't mean you can't preach the gospel. That doesn't mean you can't teach. Very few people are called to Uganda, Africa. That doesn't mean you can't teach and preach in your Uganda, Africa. You do know how many times I've heard people. And you maybe you've heard this too. There just aren't any good churches around. You know what Kelly tells them? There is one right here. And if you stick around long enough, you're going to find something that I say that you don't agree with. The same that you find it in every other relationship that you have on this earth. Try talking three or four times a week. You won't get everything right. It will not happen. I told someone last week, I said, uh, talking about, uh, you know, there's a couple of churches we were talking about on the nation that really do a great work for God. And we started talking about how, you know, the preacher, the preacher. And I said, uh, look, I'm with you. I respect and appreciate the preacher. But that church didn't grow because of the preacher. You know why it grew? Because of the people. You know what makes a great church? The people. We are the body of Christ. Preacher can only do so much. He can only, he can only talk so much. He can only do so many outreaches. He can only do so. One man can only do so much. One family can only do so much. This is why it's a body of Christ. 
And if we would live in new life, if we would live with the with the idea of not separating the resurrection from the benefit of our justification, we can get a lot more done for God. You know how we're going to be a great church? I want to be a great church. I do. You know how we're going to be a great church? We all live for Christ in a risen condition because that's where he set us. And we all get busy for him. We all get busy for him. Not everybody's going to do the same thing. But we need all the things done. And they're all different things. I can't teach Sunday school and then preach here and then run security. But we can have someone teach Sunday school. We can have somebody run security. Not everybody can pass tracks out, but we need tracks folded. Not everybody can fold tracks. We need people praying. Not everybody can open air preach, but somebody can come to the church house early and clean up. Not everybody can clean up, but somebody can paint. We can just go on down the line and just start naming stuff. There's a place for everybody if we live in a risen condition. Romans 4, let's go to verse 25. Last verse. Bible says it was delivered for our offenses. Romans 4.25 and was raised for our justification. I'm not changing the Bible. I'm trying to add context to the Bible when I say this. The for here in the context denotes because of. In other words, because of our defense, our offenses, he was delivered up. Because of our offenses, he was raised again. Does that make sense? It very clearly gives you an understanding of Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I've seen a guy the other day. I've seen this a couple times down south. You can put Jesus saves in your car. You can put Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. You can put trust Jesus. You can put, you must be born again. And then there's a bumper, there's a, there's a license plate that says Acts 238. And right away, you know, that's Church of Christ. Because if you ain't water, you ain't saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, for the same in verse in Romans 4:25 who was delivered for our offenses was raised for our justification because of our offenses in other words in in Acts 2:38 because we have repented because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ we will now gladly be baptized we don't get baptized as the means to have our sins put in remission Without the shedding of blood. Okay, so that's the idea on that little rabbit trail. I right, go to Romans 8. We tie in some additional thoughts to Romans 4.25. Who was delivered for our offenses was raised again for our justification. Look at Romans 8, verse 32. Uh, the Bible says that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things he was spared 
for us. He was wounded so you wouldn't have to be wounded. He was bruised so I wouldn't have to be bruised. He was smitten of God so none of us would be smitten of God. And God spared him not. He opened not his mouth. He was a lamb that was slaughtered. And we won't, we won't live in the risen condition that he had justified us to. He did that for us so we wouldn't have to go through it. You wouldn't do that for your best friend. Christ did that for the worst, the worst of his enemies. He was delivered for our offenses. <clears throat> go to Deuteronomy 21. A couple more things and then we'll be closed now. Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You know why that had to happen? Because of Deuteronomy 21. Let's look at it. Christ became a curse, so you didn't have to be accursed. He became a curse on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. Here's what the Bible says. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be, and he be to put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. The Old Testament law said, because of your sin, you're accursed of God. Christ became a curse for you and I and hung on that tree. And you got a prophetic look here in Deuteronomy. He fulfilled all the law. All the law. You know what they did in Genesis 3? They took of the tree they weren't supposed to. And the whole human race was cursed. You know what Christ did? He became a curse for us. He hung on a tree. And Revelation 20-something. In eternity, you know what we're going to have access to? Tree. Tree. The tree of life. Well, isn't that something? Isn't that something? Lastly, it says in, in Romans uh, 4, it talks about raised again for our justification. We have a new place of acceptance in Jesus Christ. It's the place where God creates us in Christ and he forms and makes us. And we are, we're ungodly sinners, then we are justified. I'll read you this verse. Uh, we, we know 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's not some things. Not the, that should be just the things you want. You're going to leave the other things aside. We need to repent of that. He says, all things are become new. Now, here's a theological thought of the day. Our old nature, our old creature, our connection to Adam, well, that can't make us, that can't justify us, right? We get that. And also, we're not declared uh, justified because we have a new creature. If you can follow that line of thought, because he justified the ungodly. In other words, we were in the ungodly. So we weren't in the new creature state. We were in the ungodly state. And then he justified us. He declared us right. What is that? What is that? That is God calling me into existence 
something that didn't exist. That's you and I, dead in sins. That's Sarah and Abraham, dead body, fertility-wise, deadness of Sarah's womb, and he calls into existence something that can naturally not exist. And that's, that's our justification. Now we have a new life. We are risen with Christ, and that resurrection is part of our, it's part of the justification. He declares you right, and the entire work of Christ credited to your behalf and my behalf. And you stand risen with him and you can live your life for him. In John 19, when Jesus said it is finished. What was finished? The sin death was finished. But he's still on the cross. And death still has hold of him for how long? Three days. Well, that ain't good news. What was finished? The debt was paid. But up from the grave he arose. Praise his holy name. And we also have that new standing in Christ. Where are you at right now? If you've trusted Christ, you are risen with him. So in closing, you cannot separate Christ's death from his resurrection. Regarding the justification benefits. You stand risen in him. That is your standing. That is your place. You do not. And will never stand in judgment of God's wrath or in condemnation. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ. So this demand to live a holy life and a righteous life. Either given to you and I before we got saved by religion. Or by the devil. If you are saved. You will live perfectly before God because you are risen in Christ. You will produce righteousness because you are in Christ. He is doing the production. You will live holy before God because Christ lives in you. He's your standing. He's your life. He's your righteousness. And you and I need nothing of ourselves. We only need to be, we only need to be more full of him. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.